which is the next event on God's prophetic calendar, uh, often called the rapture or the great catching away of, our saint, of the saints. So let's just do this. Let's pray and ask God to help us tonight, and we'll get studied, started together and just ask, uh, uh, Lord, we sure do love you tonight. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, and thank you for the wonderful service this morning, Lord. Thank you for just how you keep meeting with us and adding unto your church, and Lord, we just praise you for that. And Lord, tonight, as we open up your word and study uh, this great this great truth for the next event on your prophetic calendar, Lord, help us to leave this place encouraged, help us leave this place, Lord, knowing more about the, the very next thing to expect from you. And, and I even pray now, Lord, even so, come Lord Jesus. So bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Everybody have a handout? Everybody have what you need? All right. Those of you online, sorry you don't have a handout, but that's all right. Uh, so tonight we're going to get started with eschatology, the study of end times, the study of end times. And that's what that, that word comes from, the word eschus, and it literally means last. So the study of the last things, uh, ology, of course, is the study of, and you put them together, the study of the last things, the study of the future events. And, and so I broke down in your notes just kind of the, the major events of the end times, major events of eschatology that's yet to come. And and I broke them down this way. Of course, it starts with the rapture of the church. And these are kind of in the order I believe they'll, they'll kind of come. And then the judgment seat of Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the tribulation period, the battle of Armageddon, the second coming of Christ, the millennial kingdom, the great white throne judgment, then the new heaven and new earth, uh, new city, and the eternal state of the believer and the unbeliever. And so that's kind of all the things we could study here on the end times. You understand this is a big, big topic. And, and by the way, it's a, it's a pretty controversial topic. Uh, folks have all kinds of different beliefs. So we're going we're gonna to start right there with uh, how we are going to approach it and why we should even study this in the first place. So, so why study the end times? Uh, that's, that's a question I always ask. Did you know about one quarter of our Bible is dedicated to prophetic events? About 25% of our Bible studies. So, uh, so if it's if the Bible, if God inspired it to be recorded for us, I think it's important for us to study it. And, and, you know, prophetic study encourages us, it strengthens us, and it focuses ultimately on Christ. And he's the one we should be focused on anyway. So when we talk about these prophetic events, he's the cent central figure of all the future events. And so studying him is a great thing to do. And then, and then it brings about changes in our believer's life, in a believer's life. First John chapter 3, verse 1, I want you to read this with me in your notes there. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. And but look, look, look at the promise. Beloved, now, we, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. What a wonderful thing to think about the, how, how we're going to be changed and we're going to be like Jesus. I don't know about you, I, I wish I was more like him today than I am. I, I, that's a shortcoming in my life, and, but one day I'm going to be like him. And so wonderful reasons to study the end times. Now, we're going to approach it this way. This is very important when, you, when you're going to approach, especially when it comes to prophetic events. You, you have to have a, a methodology, if you would, of interpretation. And, and uh, our church and myself and, and pastor, we interpret things on a literal basis. And uh, um, that means unless it's proven, the, the, the language is proven to be symbolic, it's always we interpret it just literally. And even symbolic language represents a literal truth. And so it's always representing a literal event. And so, so why should we interpret prophecy literally? Because guess what? That's how the Old Testament prophecy was. Uh, if, you go, if you went back there and you applied what they call allegory onto it, which is the way a lot of people interpret prophecy today, just allegorize it, well, it didn't really mean that. It just, you know, they just make it mean whatever they want it to mean. Then if you went back to the Old Testament, you'd struggle with that. Because back in the Old Testament, you remember that... Jesus was prophesied he was going to be born of Bethlehem, Judea. Did y'all know what Bethlehem and Judea means? House of bread and praise. So if you allegorize that, Jesus will be born in a bakery. <laughs> and we laugh, but that's the way people many times today, many theologians today, uh, interpret the New Testament prophecies. Hey, the Bible in the Old Testament, he fulfilled over 300 of them literally when he came. 
So we're going to interpret the New Testament the same way. There are literal inter interpretations. Very important on how you approach it. And so we're going to have a literal interpretation. So we, we don't subscribe to the Reformed theology method of the way that Reformed theology is. They say take all non-prophecy non stuff and, and you interpret that literally, but prophecy, they interpret, they allegorize all that. We believe all scripture should be interpreted literally. Uh, and we recognize the Bible does use symbolism for sure, but even when it uses symbolism to describe an event, it's talking about still a literal event. And so, so that's the approach we're going to take with this, and that's how we get to the, uh, the place we are doctrinally here in our study of eschatology. And so next page, if you look at it, I gave you a big picture, a big picture and a big graph of uh, this for the folks who like to see things uh, uh, visioned out, and, and kind of is really from creation back in Genesis 1 all the way to the end, Revelation 22, and timeline with your Bible and major events fit in there. And if you want to kind of look right in the middle, uh, down at the bottom, we're living in what we call the church age, the, the, the dispensation of the church. That's where we are now. It's where uh, God put off uh, uh, for a time being with his dealings as much with Israel and, and, and allowed us Gentiles. We were grafted in, thank God for that, and we're living in that church age. And and I believe that ends at, uh, I believe that started on the day of Pentecost, and, and it ends on the day of the rapture, the, the day the Lord returns back. And then at that point, God's prophetic time clock ticks off again, and he starts dealing with the nation of Israel again for seven years in a tribulation period. Then at the end of that, Christ returns physically this time to the earth. First time we're going to talk about tonight, he's coming in the clouds, and he's taking the church home. Second time, he's coming physically to the earth, and uh, he's going to set up his millennial kingdom, a uh, thousand-year reign here on earth, and, and there's going to be one more great battle, Satan, and all those are going to be cast at the end of that period, thousand years, into the lake of fire, and the new heaven, new earth, and eternity kicks in. And so there's a very quick overview on all that. So tonight what we're talking about is right after the church age, the rapture of the church, or the next event on God's prophetic calendar, which I believe is that, the catching away of the saints, or the rapture. So let's dig into that. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, one of the main texts for this, and there's also a great place you can find it, 1 Corinthians 15 as well, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is where we'll spend most of this from, most of our time tonight, and uh, as we look down through it. So this next event on God's prophetic calendar, yeah, it's a glorious one. It's the end of the church age. We just talked about the time when Jesus comes back and he's going to resurrect those that have gone on and passed on before us in Christ. And, and they're going to be caught up together to meet him in the air. And then those that are alive at that moment that have trusted in Christ are going to also go right after them. And so let's read about this glorious event. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we'll pick up verse number 13. Uh, read along with me. The Bible says this, but... Uh, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. So Paul's writing here to a church, a great church, by the way, the church of Thessalonica. But, but they, they had gotten some false teaching to come in that the Lord had already come and, 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 and he had already come back and all that. And they were really, really concerned about their loved ones that had gone on before them, about themselves. And, and so Paul's clearing the matter up here. And he says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you saw or not, even as others which have no hope, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before, is what that word means, them which are asleep, those that have passed on already. It's the word sleep you've, we've read three times there. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those that have gone on before us in the Lord are going first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he ends it with this. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This great event, this, this next coming event, I believe, on God's prophetic calendar, 
the rapture of the church. Let's look at it tonight, and I kind of got an outline for you. I broke down, I simply called this first one, the comprehension of the event. The comprehension, let's understand it. He starts off in verse 13, he said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brother. In other words, Paul wants us to understand what's going to happen here. And he wants that church at Thessalonica to understand that. And he wants us to understand it as believers. What's the next event waiting for us on God's calendar of prophecy? And so the first one, the thing I want you to see is what is it? I love to do word studies. And I know we have a short time, so I, I can't get too broke down into all this. But I love to look up words and figure out where else was that same word used in the Bible. Because when you do that, you'll find the, the full meaning of that word. And I'll give you the example here in this case. Uh, if you look there in verse number 17, the Bible says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Caught up. That's the word used uh, to describe this, this event that's coming. And that word caught up literally comes from the word arpezo. Arpezo. Now, we always use the term, you hear the term used rapture a lot today for this event we're talking about. I'm going to stick to the Bible word. We're going to talk about being caught up together in the clouds. Rapture is a transliteration from the Latin translation of this rapturo, but we're going to pay attention to the Bible here called it the caught up, the catching away of the saints. And it comes from the Greek word arpezo, or harpezo, usually the H is silent, to be caught up together with them in the clouds. Now, if you study through the Bible and you find, where else was that word used? You'll find some other examples of that in the Bible. The same word, arpezo, is used in many of the scriptures. And over in Acts chapter 8, verse 39, how remember the, the account of the Ethiopian eunuch? Y'all remember that? Saying, how can I understand what I'm reading? And God sends the, 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 the evangelist Philip there to preach unto him. By the way, he took the Old Testament and preached Jesus, amen, because he's God of the Old Testament and the New. And in Acts 39, he says this, he says, and when they were come up out of the water, he, he had asked, what hindereth me to be baptized? He said, you got to believe first. And then he believed, and then he went down and he got baptized. And when he come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. He's gone, like that. That preacher God had sent, gone. Caught away, same word, arpeza. So if you're thinking about it, caught up in our text is how it was translated. Caught away is how it translated in Acts chapter 8, verse 39. Same word was used when God called up Paul into the third heaven. In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12, he said, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years. Whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth such a one caught up to the third heaven. Same word, arpeza. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it tells us there that Paul was caught up to paradise. Same word. Same word in Matthew chapter 13, verse 9. When one heareth of the kingdom and understandeth it uh, not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away. So caught up, caught away, catcheth away. Get the idea of the word so far? Many times it's used. That's not it, though. This gets even better. The word's also used in John chapter 6, verse 15. When it, it's translated there is as taken by force. When Jesus therefore perceived they would come and take him by force, arpezo, that's the word, to make him a king, he departed again to the mountain and to himself. It's used in, the, in John chapter 10, verse 28, with the idea of pluck, to pluck out. He said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man's able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So pluck out. And then it's used as the word pulling, uh, or pays the same word in Jude in verse 23. It says, and others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating the garment, even the spotted flesh. So why did I go through all that? Get the idea of what this, this great event is. I want you to think about it. Here's what's going to happen. Everybody's in Christ. That means everybody that's had a time and place where they put their trust in Jesus and Jesus alone that he died for them, was buried, and rose again. They, they by faith, put their trust in him. That's, that's how you get in Christ. Everybody that's in Christ, that's trusting him as Lord and Savior, is going to be caught away, caught up, taken by force, plucked out of this world, pulled out of the fire. Doesn't that help just kind of explain this event? And uh, At least it does in my mind, and I love to do that. And so uh, thank God for that wonderful thing. So the raptures, when Jesus steps out in the clouds, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet to call home. All those that are dead in Christ, that are already in the grave, that have died in belief and faith in Christ. And then also those that are alive today on earth in him. 
That's the event that's going to happen. And at that time, the generation of us that are alive, listen, we're going to be transformed to incorruptible bodies right now. The, the other great event, the other great passage is over in 1 Corinthians 15, and I put it in your notes there to read with it, but it describes the same event and what's going to happen. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In other words, he's saying there's a generation that's going to be alive when this happens. That hasn't, that hasn't died. They're, they're, not, they're not sleeping yet. They're, they're, they're still alive. He says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, to last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall, put on, shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of the law of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, uh, which giveth us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he ends it with, therefore, my, brother, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in work of the Lord, for as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So he tells us there's going to be a day when we that, that have trust in Christ, there's going to be a generation that's alive, and he's going to come in the clouds, and that trump's going to blow, and instantly, boom, transformed. I used to always like to say it this way. I'm going to finally have a six-pack of abs, amen. <laughs> uh, that perfect glorified body, and, and hey, no more pain in that body. It's going to be like unto Jesus. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 describes the same thing. Verse 20, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we do look for the, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. This great event in your timeline is happening in Revelation 4, verse 1 as well. After this, he says, I looked and behold, John seeing all these great events about to unfold. After this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as a trumpet talking to me, which said, come up hither, and I'll show you the things that will be hereafter. The rapture and that glorious event is going to be. It's also there, if you look at it, the rapture will be the fulfillment of Christ's promise of the blessed hope. Uh, Paul wrote it this way, second, or Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You remember the promise Jesus made in John 14? He, he, he told them, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And he appears his promise. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And Thomas said, how in the world are we going to know? How do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. So the rapture fulfillment of Christ's promise, that blessed hope, the promise he would come back again. It's also this. It's the means by which the Lord delivers his people from the wrath that's to come. Uh, and that's going to come on to the, uh, the, the nation of Israel, the Jews, and the unbelieving world both. And Romans chapter 5, verse 9 says this, Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. First Thessalonians 1.10, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, very important verse. I'd put a star beside that one. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, talking about believers in Christ, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And so over and over, uh, the rapture is the means by which the Lord delivers his people. So we're talking about the, the what of the rapture. And uh, does that help a little bit? Do you understand what this glorious event is going to be? He's coming in the clouds. Those that have died in Christ before us, uh, they, their souls are going to come back, their, their bodies will come out of the ground, and, and they're going to be reunited. But listen, those that have, uh, with their soul, which is already in heaven, by the way, do you know when you die, your body and soul separate? Absent from the body for a believer in Christ is present with who? The Lord, already there. So the body's coming up, getting changed, glorified, reunited with the soul in the clouds. Us that are still on earth, hey, we're going to, thank God, if we've trusted in Christ, and we're getting glorified body too. We're going to be with them. We're going to be with the Lord. 
and so shall we ever be as the Lord. What an event. He promised it was going to happen, and it's coming. So we see the what it is. What it is. And by the way, it's the next event, I believe, on the calendar. So who will include? That'll be the next big question. Who will include? I've covered this a lot already, but I want to make sure you get it. The what of the rapture, but the who of the rapture. It'll include all those that have died in Christ. That's our position once we've trusted him. Um, and so 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead, what's the next thing to say? Not just the dead, the dead in Christ. The, dead had tr- the ones that had trusted in Christ shall rise first. They're going first. Hey, uh, we're not going to prevent them. We're not going before them. Uh, then, then we get to go, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, Behold, I show you, Mr. we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And uh, So it includes all those in Christ that have gone on before us, that have, uh, the ones that are living at that time. It involve all those that received Christ from the day of Pentecost till, till that day it comes, the tr- close of the church program. Uh, now, I don't believe it'll include the Old Testament saints, though, the pre-Christ folks. Because if you go read, there's a, there's a day where there's the ones that have faith in the prophecy to come, or the, the, the Messiah to come, they're saved, don't get me wrong, but I don't believe they're going, this is for the church only, I believe. Because uh, in Daniel chapter 12, uh, uh, Daniel wrote this, And at any time, in verse number 1, shall Michael stand up, uh, the great prince will stand up for the children of, peop- uh, of thy people. There shall be a time of trouble, such as, such as never there was a nation, even until the Saul at that time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting content. And I believe that all, that's all happening during the tribulation. Those that had gone on before the church, and, but they had had faith in, in Christ. And so uh, the who and the what. Now, here's the question everybody wants to know, is the when, right? When's this happening, preacher? When's it going to happen? Huh? Now, I believe it's an imminent event. You say, what's that mean? That means it can happen anytime. That means it might happen before I get done tonight in this very room. Uh, he could return, amen? It could take place any moment. Romans chapter 13, verse 11, the Bible says this, and, uh, and that, knowing that the time that now is high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Now a lot of times you get asked this and folks will say, wait a minute preacher, aren't there a bunch of signs that need to be fulfilled before the rapture? Uh, I don't believe there are. There's a lot of signs to be fulfilled, but it's not before he returns in the cloud to take the church home. Uh, I think here's the one sign that's to be fulfilled. <laughs> and Jesus said, if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. It's very important, I believe, not to confuse the signs that are for the tribulation period and the physical second coming of Christ to the earth. This time he's coming in the clouds. Later he's coming to the earth. We'll see that in the weeks to come. Don't confuse those two. The rapture, the catching away of the saints could happen any moment. We're not looking for signs. We're looking for the Savior. Amen. And we're looking for him to come back. Now, I know there's, there, there's a bunch of other teachings out there. There's, there's what you call post-trib. Uh, that means some believe don't, Christ doesn't return for, even for the church until after the tribulation period. There's some that believe he comes halfway, pre-trib, or some even now call it pre-wrath that they believe. Uh, I just believe my Bible teaches this. Y'all can stick around three and a half years or seven years all you want. I'm getting out of here on the first load. Amen. <laughs> I'm out of here. You say, why do you believe that? Well, let me give you a couple quick reasons why I believe it. Uh, besides the Bible telling us we're not appointed under wrath. That's a pretty good one. How about we just start right there, right, with the, what the Bible promised. And, uh, but I think of this. I'll give you three reasons. Number one, it's God's picture. God's picture. What do I mean by that? If you go study the book of Revelation, you'll see that, that there's three, three things you break down in the book of Revelation. Uh, I think the whole outline of it, it's like Philip Air for just one second. I'll sit down for just a moment so you can see this. I believe that there's a divine outline for the book of Revelation there in Revelation chapter number 1. And if you look down to verse number, I believe it's 18. Let me find it here. Uh, ain't it. All right, verse number 19. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. John, here under the inspiration of God, writes this. He says, the Lord tells him, he says, Write the, write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. 
I think there's your, there's your entire outline of the whole book of Revelation. The things that you've seen. Tell, John, I've showed you some stuff. Write that down. Tell, tell us about things that are right now. And then all the stuff I'm getting ready to show you that's going to happen. And so John proceeds into that. And if you kind of look at the breakdown, that's what he had done. He told him what he's experiencing now. Gets into chapters 2 and 3 and writes to the seven little churches that existed during those times. And, and to the pastor of those churches. And he, so he's writing to churches. The churches are still here at that time. Obviously, as he writes to those seven churches. Then he gets to Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 1. And guess what happens as soon as he gets done writing to the churches? I read it earlier, but he says this, After that, I looked up, and behold, a door is open to heaven. And, and the first voice, which I heard, was as of a trumpet talking with me. It said, Come up hither. That shout, that, that trumpet is there transposed. Hey, the earth, that's where I believe that's the God's prophetic timeline when the church gets out of here. He just finished telling us all about the churches in chapter 2 and 3. Chapter 4, verse 1, come up hither, the trump of God goes. Guess what? You won't find another mention of the church. From that point forward, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, until you get to Revelation 19. Guess what happens between that? The tribulation period, where he describes all those things that are going to happen. Why is he not mentioning the church during that time? Because it ain't here. <laughs> We're out of here. <laughs> Guess what's happening in Revelation 19? Next time he mentions us. We're coming back with him from heaven. How did we get there? Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. When he called us up. And, uh, and so it's, God's, it's, it's certainly God's picture. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, and I believe it happens before the tribulation. It's also his pattern. If you go back through the, the, through the whole Bible, you're going to find out God's, the tribulation, we know it's not a time of judgment for the church anyway. It's, for, it's a time of Jacob's trouble, the Bible tells us. It's the time of the judgment for Israel. And so the church is out here before that. And, and God has a pattern all the time of removing his people before he punishes uh, others. Think about Noah and his family. They're in the ark before the flood comes, right? Lot and his, two, his wife and, and the two virgin daughters, they're out of Sodom before the destruction falls. Rahab's out of Jericho before the children uh, of Israel kill all the people of Jericho. God has a habit of removing his people before judgment comes. It's his pattern. And it's also his promise, I believe that. It's God's promise. And this is the biggest one to me. John 14, verse 18. Jesus promised, he will not leave us comfortless. Y'all remember that over in John 14? Then he goes on to tell us about who the Comforter is. It's the Holy Ghost of God that he was going to send when Jesus ascended. Uh, that, and he tells us in John 14, verse 26, that Comforter is the Holy Ghost. So he promised he won't leave us comfortless, that he's going to send a Comforter, the Holy Ghost, to be with us. And by the way, if you've been born again, trust that Christ is your Savior, guess what? The Holy Spirit resides in you. And uh, he, say he, he came and resided in you on the day you trusted Christ. And Ephesians 1 and verse 13, the Bible tells us, In whom we also believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. By the way, the Bible says he's in there until the day of redemption. That's the day the Lord returns in the clouds. Ephesians 4.30 tells us, Whereby we're sealed until the day of redemption. Talking about by the Holy Spirit. He tells us our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19, what? You know not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, he tells us. In other words, if you're sitting here tonight and you've trusted Christ as your personal Savior, you've had a time or place where you repented and you believed the gospel and you called upon his name and by faith received that, then you are indwelt and sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. And he promised he would not leave us comfortless. Everybody still with me? All right, stay with me a little bit. So we're going to go somewhere just with this for a few moments. So if we can't be left comfortless, then it's impossible for us to be here without the Holy Ghost. Everybody with me still? Okay. So he's making some blanket statements. Now, if you flipped over, and I, I put them in here, I believe, but 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and, and verse number 7, uh, I want you to see this. It's, a lot, it's wordy, but I want you to get it. Uh, and Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two, verse number seven, it says talking about uh, the Antichrist is kind of what it's talking about here. But for the mystery of iniquity, the spirit of Antichrist, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. How many of y'all agree? Satan still. We, we talked about Satan last week. He's he's at work and he's got help, cronies helping him. That's already happening. Then it goes and says, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. That word letting is old King James word for hindering. 
There's one that's hindering now. Uh, there's one that's hindering the work of the mystery of iniquity. There's one that's hindering the work of Satan, uh, of the spirit of the Antichrist uh, that's here. And he's going to continue hindering until he's taken out of the way. Then shall the wicked one be revealed. In other words, the Antichrist name will be revealed until the Holy Spirit is gone and quits hindering the work of Satan. Now, there, now let me help you here. I, mean, just, I know I've already said it's the Holy Spirit, but just think about it. John wrote this, I'm sorry, Paul wrote this, uh, 2 Thessalonians, in about 64 A.D. So he's, here's what he's saying. There was in 64 A.D., there's, there's someone that was letting or hindering uh, the, the, the Antichrist and the work of Satan in, in 64 A.D. And as soon as he's that, that hindering per force is gone, guess what? The Antichrist is going to be revealed. That's what he's saying. It's 2023. We don't know who the Antichrist is yet, right? Still hindering, still here. Now, unless you've been around for 2,000 plus years, that ain't you. <laughs> and it's not the person beside you. Don't be Obo and him, right? Uh, yeah. There's only two that that leaves. The Spirit of the Antichrist, that, which would be Satan, or the Holy Spirit. One of the two. That's the two that have been around all that time. The Bible tells us one of the two got to be taken out of the way before the Antichrist will be revealed. Now, who is hindering the work of Satan? Is it the spirit of the Antichrist? Satan in there? No. It's the Holy Spirit of God. And the moment the Holy Spirit is out of here, guess what? Uh, we got to be out of here because Jesus said we can't be left comfortless. You with me on all that? So I, I hope you stayed with all that. Because uh, if he goes, hey, we go. Thank God. And, and uh, so we see that those wonderful promises. Now, since believers will appear in glory with Christ and return with Him in Revelation chapter 19, again, I've already mentioned this, but we know the rapture's got to occur before the tribulation period. In fact, Colossians 3 verse 19 tells us, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. Okay, so is the tribulation period, uh, okay, that's before the tribulation period, I guess, but when's the rapture? When is it happening? It, you made a point, preacher, on it's going to happen before the tribulation period. I get that. You, I see where you're going, but when's it actually going to happen? Let me tell you, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, that's a very important thing to understand. I don't know, and neither is any other preacher going to see. I heard about a famous preacher, thought he had it all figured out. The day Jesus coming back in clouds. He, he talked about the date, wrote books, sold billions, preached, taught taught on it, had seminars, all that stuff. Guess what? The date came and Jesus hadn't come back. He was so embarrassed, he moved to China and changed his name to Wong Day. Amen. <laughs> Just a joke for you. <laughs> People have been trying to figure that out for years, when Jesus is going to come back. Listen, I actually downloaded a message from 1976. This is from a prophecy scholar. One, by the way, our movement would have followed back then. All right. He preached in that message that Jesus Christ will most likely come back by the end of 1976. And, and he went on to tell us why. He said, because the revised Roman Empire in Daniel chapter 10 of, uh, of the Ten Toes, or, or ten, he said right now there's nine members of the, of the European common market. And he believed the European common market was the Ten Toes Daniel mentioned in Daniel chapter 2. And he said, when that tenth member joins, the revised Roman Empire will take place. Jesus is going to come back. Then the Antichrist is going to be revealed. He'll rule and reign on earth. And just waiting on that tenth nation to join. You realize 2023, and now there's 15 in the European common market. By the way, have gone and come since then. Daniel must have missed a lot of toes, right? <laughs> By the way, that same preacher is on TV today preaching the exact same message. Now he says it's not the European and common market, it's the European Union. Guess what? Every message he preaches on prophecy, even though he makes millions doing it, is wrong. And I want to tell you why. Because all of his messages are based on current events. They're not based on the Word of God. Uh, and listen, current events change. Y'all notice that? Can I tell you, there's never been time when there wasn't wars or rumors of wars. You, you hear that one thrown around a lot especially with what's happening right now. Hey, this could be the start. Hey, I'm not saying the Lord didn't go come back anytime. I'm not looking for that for him to come back, though, because he could come back any moment, any time. Uh, if you see all that stuff, it just, it, we're maybe even that much closer. But I don't think it's for us to even guess those things. 
When's it going to take place? I don't know. Neither is John Hay, neither is Tim LaHaye, Benny Hint, none of those people, John Van, Jack Van Impey, Harold Camping, none of them know. Be careful with all that. Can I say something kind of kindly, but kind of firmly? Because I got Bible for it. I don't even think we're supposed to be guessing. Acts chapter 1, verse 7, he said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons. My Bible even says that, But of that day and hour no man knoweth, not, nor the angels in heaven, neither the Son, only the Father. Only, only, I don't understand. I can't explain that one. It's above my pay grade. Because Jesus is God. Amen? <laughs> but it says the Son doesn't even know. Only the Father does. If he doesn't know, well, who are we to think we can guess and point fingers? I'm going to tell you what. Here's what I think we should do. I think we should just quit trying to guess. And I think we should live the next 15 minutes like he's going to come back in the next 15. And if he doesn't, guess what? We live the next 15 after that like he's going to come back. If you knew he was coming back in 15 minutes, what would you do? You'd probably fix a whole lot of stuff real quick, wouldn't you? <laughs> Got to make a couple wrongs right. Got to get some things right. Uh, not that that's going to have a bearing on if you, <laughs> whether you're going or not, it's whether you've trusted any. But we live a little different way, wouldn't we? I think that's the goal. I think that's what he's trying to tell us. When is it going to happen? I don't know. What happens after the rapture? We'll keep going here. What happens after it? Uh, well, we, we, we read it earlier. Once the Holy Spirit's out of here as well, then the Antichrist's going to be revealed. And you say, who's the Antichrist? And I, I could, yeah, that's, we're, we're focusing on the rapture, but I want to tell you what, we don't know who that is either. Amen. Every Bible scholar since 19, uh, back in the 40s, said it was Adolf Hitler. Then in the 70s, it was Henry Kissinger. Then in the 80s, it was Ronald Reagan. That one blew me out of the water. And uh, he said, Ronald Reagan, here's their logic. Well, Ronald had six letters. His middle name was Wilson. That has six letters. Reagan has six letters. So if all of them have six, for the first time in history, the most powerful president of the, uh, uh, the most powerful person in the entire world had six, six, six. You see how they reach for straws on all this? Guess what? Ronald Reagan's gone. He died. Then I read uh, somebody else said it was going to be Bill Clinton, then President Obama. I think they're getting close. I'll just leave that alone. I'm just kidding. Then it was George Walker Bush. George had six letters. Walker had six letters. This was Junior. He said, well, wait, wait, I'm, I'm putting it all together. Wait a minute. Uh, Walker has six letters. George has six letters. But Bush only has four. But he was Junior. They had the Junior on there. <laughs> People want to know who the Antichrist is. Uh, I don't know. You don't know. And I don't see a verse in the Bible that tells us to even really speculate it. I know this. The Antichrist is not going to be revealed until the Holy Ghost is removed in 2 Thessalonians 2.8. And guess what? When he goes, we go with him. Amen. So I'm going to just be real honest with you. I don't really care because I'm out of here. Amen. <laughs> uh, and, and so forth. I'm looking for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You keep looking for the Antichrist if you want. The comprehension of it, what is it? We've looked at that. When is it? Don't have a clue. What is it? After the Antichrist, or it happens, what happens after it? The Antichrist is revealed after it. Uh, someone told me one time when I preached a similar message, you're not going to write a very good book on prophecy. <laughs> I said, I don't really need to. I got one right here. Amen. Uh, God's written a pretty good one. The comprehension of it. The comfort of it, though. Back to our text. Go back to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter number four with me again if you're not there already the comprehension of it and then the comfort of it you know Paul wrote this to, to comfort those that had thought it they had missed it and he says in verse 13 he says but I would not have you be ignorant brother concerning them which are asleep that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope he said I don't want you to sorrow as those that don't have hope uh, uh, they, they were they were afraid that their loved ones had gone on, that they'd missed it all, and what, what had happened. And, and he said, listen, there's a hope with this. Now, when you read hope in the New Testament, here's one of the things I want you to understand. It's not like, I hope my team wins the football game today. If you're a Redskins fan, you got a lot. you got to keep hoping. Somebody, no, I'm just picking. <laughs> Can't call them Redskins anymore, can you? I'm showing my age there. Uh, it's not like, I hope, you know, that... I win a lot or whatever, whatever in the world. It's not that this mystical, something magical happens to me, that type thing. Hope in the New Testament, when you read that word, means a confident, earnest expectation. A confident, earnest expectation. So here's what he's saying when Paul wrote, looking for that blessed hope 
and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. When he, when he wrote here in our text that we just read, hey, hey don't sorrow as those which have no hope. He, here's what he's saying. Listen, we have a confident, earnest expectation. It's not a, I, I just kind of wishy-washy, it might happen, and I just hope so. It's, it's happening, is what he's saying. It's a done deal. It's a confident, earnest expectation. That's comforting, isn't it? Now, as you think about that, he is coming back. And we are getting out of this old sin-cursed world. The comprehension of the event, the comfort of it, the conditions of it. This is very important. Look at verse 14 with me, back in our text. Because he starts it out this way. For if we believe that, what's the next name mentioned? Jesus. Buddha's not going to get you there. Muhammad's not going to get you there. Joseph Smith's not going to get you there. The Pope's not going to get you there. The preacher's not going to get you there. The pastor's not going to get you there. Your Sunday school teacher's not going to get you there. Being the son of one's not going to get you there. Amen. There's only one that can get you there, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. He's the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Acts 4.12 still says, neither is there salvation in any other, but there's none other name given under heaven amongst men, whereby we must be saved. See, the conditions of the event is simply this. It matters in whom you believe. Amen. In whom? You can be a church member. That didn't go to it. You can be baptized. As one old preacher always said, you can know every tadpole by name you've been baptized so many times. Listen, that's not going to get you there. It's, it's whom? Have you trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone? But it's not just in whom you believe. It matters what you believe. Again, church, communion, baptism, money, all that stuff's good stuff to do. Don't get me wrong. But none of it's going to get you there. Look what he says here in our text. For if we believe that Jesus, and then he finishes with this, died and rose again. Do y'all see that? It's pretty specific, isn't it? What you got to believe. Not just in whom, but what are we believing about that whom? That he's the one who died and rose again. That's the gospel message, by the way. Did y'all know that? The gospel message is 1 Corinthians 15. And it tells us in verse number 1, moreover, brethren, uh, moreover, brethren, he, he tells us that, talking about this gospel, there's something more important he's going to tell you. I write unto you, I'm writing unto you these things. He said, he said I got this message, and uh, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Verse number 2, he says, by which you're saved. And so there's this good news message that Paul was writing. He says, by which you're saved. And then he tells us in verses 3 and 4 what it is, how that Christ died according to the scriptures and was buried and rose again the third day according to the scripture. So what's the gospel? It's the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What did Paul just say? you got to believe if you're going to go in this glorious event, the next event on God's prophetic calendar, hey, you got to believe in Jesus, and you got to believe he died and rose again for you. you got to believe the gospel. That's how you get saved, by the way, uh, believe in that. And so, so that's the gospel message. And so I repent, I change my mind, I believe, put my full weight and trust in the fact that Jesus died for me was buried and rose again. I, I confess that with my mouth that he's Lord and I believe it in my heart that God's raising from the dead and then on authority of scripture it says thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's Romans 9, uh, Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10. Only those that trusted Christ as their Savior are going to be caught up in the clouds. Not those that have been given money, those that have done all this other stuff. Only those who trusted Christ. See, it matters in whom you believe. It matters what you believe. And here's a big one, important one. It matters when we believe. It matters when we believe. Flip with me real quick to 2 Thessalonians. Well, I gave you some of it. I'm looking at my notes right now. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 10. This is a very important section as well that I believe the Bible teaches that goes against a lot of what we believe. Sometimes we get our beliefs from mentioned it before when we're talking about this is why we get our beliefs from not necessarily from songs not necessarily from movies or other books we get our beliefs from this book the word of god and and second thessalonians chapter 10 this is the scary part read this carefully with me it says second thessalonians 2 10 chapter 2 verse 10 and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So there's some, some going to perish because they didn't receive the truth. What's the truth? That's Jesus, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. These people had heard the truth. 
They had heard Jesus had died for their sins. He was buried and he rose again. They had heard that he gives victory over death, hell, and the grave. They had heard he's the only way to heaven. They had heard that you must be born again. They would heard all these truths. They heard that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They heard all these truths. They heard truth, truth, truth. But verse 10 says, but they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. I'm going to apply this verse to you if you're here tonight. Tonight, I've already preached the gospel. I already told you, it's Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's the message you've got to believe in, in order to be saved. You know what I just did? I just put you without excuse. If you're listening online tonight, you're without excuse right now. You've heard the truth. It's your question. It's up to you. Are you going to receive it and believe it? If you've heard that message and the Lord returns in the clouds uh, and you haven't trusted him, you're not going. You won't be given another chance. Now, you won't hear that everywhere, but I'm going to show you in the Bible why I believe that. Two reasons I believe it. Number one, by the way, people always say, well, you know, if the Lord returns and everybody that's a believer disappears, then I'm certainly going to believe, right? I'm going to put my trust in. No, you won't. Two reasons. First, we get saved by, by faith, not by sight, right? Uh, that, that would be, uh, it's grace through faith, and it's not by sight. Second one's even bigger. God himself says he's going to send you a delusion. If you'd heard the truth and you had opportunity to receive and you reject it and you didn't receive him, then he's going to send you a delusion that you're going to believe a lie. That's what it says. Read with me. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and verse 11, the very next verse. For those that had heard the truth and had not received it, in verse 10, in verse 11 he says, For this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they shall believe a lie, that they, uh, that they all might be down to believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. For what cause? Because they had heard, but they didn't believe. God's going to send them a strong delusion. They're not going to hear. In other words, if you heard the gospel on this side of the Lord's return in the clouds, and you haven't trusted in the, in the Lord, you don't get an opportunity on the other side. You said, but I saw the movies. <laughs> and they're pretty good movies, right? Left Behind series, who's seen those? And, and uh, by the way, if you go ask Tim LaHaye, he's telling you that was just a representation anyway. But, uh, and, and after that, what was the guy's name? Bucky or whatever. They all got saved after the rapture in the movie. Well, again, what does the Bible say? He's going to send a strong delusion. You get saved on this side of the grave, and you get saved on this side of the rapture. We're not promised another day. That's why the Bible always says, Behold, now is the day of salvation. It says, not to boast, boast not thyself on tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Now, we always apply that as, yeah, I may, not, I may take my last breath tonight, so I better get saved. Hey, the Lord may return tonight. I'll give you another reason to get this settled before it's too late. Either one's going to seal it, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but what about all those the Bible talks about during the tribulation period? All those are going to be saved. Actually, it does. So there's going to be a whole multitude of people saved. Praise God. Amen. It'll be people who have never heard the gospel, though. Well, all these preachers out there preaching the gospel, and they're going to they're hear the truth, and they're going to trust Christ just like we did. That was true. But if you've heard on this side and didn't trust, according to the Bible, you're going to be sent a lie, or you're going to believe a lie and be sent a strong delusion. So the comprehension of it, the comfort of it, the conditions of it. The last thing I want to end this way was simply this the company of it. The company of it. Hey, I already mentioned to you. Before, hey, I'm going to get a brand new body. Amen. <laughs> Behold, I show you a mystery. We're not, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. The twinkling of an eye. I looked up, and they told me light travels at 186,000 miles per second. It's estimated that light hits your eyes and creates a sparkle in 11 one-thousandths of a second. That's pretty fast, isn't it? I've driven some race, pretty fast race cars and nothing like that. <laughs> That's how quick we're going to be changed. Now, I can't even fathom them. I don't know about you. That's how quick this corruption is going to put on incorruption. This mortal is going to put on immortality. Hey, I won't need these glasses anymore. Amen. <laughs> uh, gonna, uh, I won't need hearing aids. My wife says I need them already. Amen. <laughs> 
No more pain, no more sickness. Perfect glorified body. Going to have a new one, just like unto his. Sometime between when I hear the shout and I meet the Savior, going to have a brand new, perfect, uncorrupted body. And so will you, if you trust in Jesus. Amen. The company, hey, we're going to have a new body. And then I like the company here, the dead in Christ. I don't know about you, how many of you have lost some loved ones that loved the Lord, that you knew were saved. Amen. I can't wait to see my grandmother again. I can't tell you on the word of God. I can't tell you. Are we going to all recognize? I, I don't know all that. I know we'll know as he knew. He certainly knew who they are, so I think we'll know them. I just I believe that, but I can't give you verse in scripture for that. Other than, you know, on the mountain of transfiguration, they recognized them, didn't they? Right, so I, I just like grab that hope, but I can't give you 100% black and white. But, but I know this, I'm going to be with them. Amen. Be with my dad. I'm going to be with my grandmother. Uh, and those who have gone before us in the Lord, and uh, looking forward to that. And you know, the greatest one is I'm going to be with the Lord Jesus. Amen. So shall I ever be with the Lord. Amen. We'll see Jesus. We'll see the one huh, that died for us, the one that paid our sin debt for us, everything I've ever preached about, everything you've ever read about. Hey, it's all going to become reality in the twinkling of an eye when we're caught up together in the clouds. So here's the question Are you ready? It's not a matter is. If he coming, the question is, are you going? And you can if you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Amen. The next event on God's prophetic calendar. I believe he's coming. I believe it could happen any moment. I'm not looking for signs. I'm looking for the Savior. We'll get into the signs just a little bit because there's no way I can cover those other nine topics in one more lesson. But uh, well, we'll cover at least an overview of them all and what they're for. Uh, but I don't believe it's for this. I believe he could come any moment. Even so, come Lord Jesus. How many of y'all like to say, you know, it would be all right if we just got out of here right now? I got, a grand, I got a granddaughter on the way. We just found out this week. We had the big gender reveal. The pumpkin was pulled out, and it was not blue. <laughs> I picked blue. I had blue on, but uh, it, was, it was pink. And I uh, got a granddaughter on the way. Now, I'd love to see that granddaughter grow up. And I'd love to see that. But you know what? Just getting out of here and all going to be with Jesus would be even better, wouldn't it? And, uh, and uh, praise God for that. If you know Christ, it's going to happen. Amen. It's imminent. Father, we sure do love you tonight. And we thank you for your word. And we thank you for our time together. And we thank you for this next event on your calendar, Lord. And we just look forward to the soon return of you, our Lord and Savior. Lord, for somebody tonight that's in this room or listening online who's never had a time and a place where they put their trust solely in you. Lord, maybe they're relying on church membership or they're relying on being a good person. None of those things are going to get them there. Lord, there's no, there's no you know, amount of good that outweighs bad. The Bible actually says there's none that doeth good, no, not one. Lord, we all have a problem. We're all sinners that need a Savior. And Jesus is his name. He paid our sin debt for us. He bled on that, that cross. And Lord, he shed his blood for us. And they took him down from the cross with his death, Lord, and they buried him for three days. And that third day, he got up and rose again from the dead, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And, Lord, we can be too if we put our trust in him. He, he was the propitiation for our sins, not just ours, but the sins of the whole world. And we thank you, Lord, for being that very thing. If they have never called on you by faith, Lord, I pray tonight that they just do that. They'd reach out and realize, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I believe you died for me. I believe you're buried. I believe you rose again. I put my trust in you and you alone so they could be ready for this grand event, the soon re return of our Lord and Savior, the catching away of the saints, or in modern terms, the rapture. Even so, come Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a good night.